0: Are you an entrepreneur struggling with your daily performance? Are you letting things like fear, procrastination, or self-doubt hold you back? Are you experiencing daily stress that's having a major impact on your quality of life? If so, you're definitely going to want to check out the free training that I just put together. This training is going to show you the three-step formula to overcoming fear and self-doubt, reducing stress, and exploding your performance as an entrepreneur. In this training, you're going to learn the two best ways to manage your negative emotions, the simple three-step formula to breaking through and building massive momentum and confidence, and how to integrate this formula into your busy life to avoid overwhelm or burnout. So if that sounds like something that may help you, you can either check the show notes for the link to the free training, or you can head over to reachpeakperformance.com. That's reachpeakperformance.com, and the free training will be available there. So with that being said, make sure you check that out, and let's get into the show. What's up, everybody? You are listening to the Early Risers podcast. I'm your host, Skylar Deem, and I am an early riser. Now, if you are a first-time listener to the show, welcome. Welcome. The show is all about helping you live a more effective life, and it's called The Early Risers Podcast because that's what I believe an early riser to be, someone who's focused on living life more effectively. You know, you don't have to wake up at 4am or 5am or 6am, but to be an early riser, you just have to wake up earlier than normal, earlier than you have to. So if you have to wake up at 10am to get to work on time, and you wake up at 9.30 and you have a 30 minute morning routine... Well, you're an early riser, so it's really about taking those small steps. It's not about waking up at 4 a.m., it's not about waking up at 5 a.m., but it's just waking up a little earlier and using that time to benefit yourself, using that time for personal development, for some silence, for your own growth, and if you do that, you're going to have an amazing life. So, before we get into the episode, I actually kind of switch things up if you're a repeat listener. Um... Normally, I'll read the bio and then do the little intro, and then we'll get into the show. But I actually did the intro in the interview, which I kind of like and may be doing from now on. But before we actually move into that, just a reminder, if you find value from this show, I'd love if you could share it. If you find value from the show, I'd love if you could head over to iTunes and leave it a rating and a review. The higher the show is ranked the more awesome podcast guests that i can bring on for you so with that being said if there's anything you need always feel free to connect with me on instagram at early risers movement always feel free to hit me up if you have any recommendations for guests if you want to see anyone on if you want to see certain topics never be afraid to reach out so let's get into the show So today's special guest is Robert Plotkin. Robert is the founder of Technology for Mindfulness, a leading blog and top 40 iTunes podcast on science, technology, and mindfulness. In his Tap into Mindfulness program, he teaches people how to be less distracted by their smartphones and how to retake control over their time to be more focused, productive, and creative. His unique approach to technology and mindfulness stems from his combination of expertise in technology as an MIT-educated computer scientist, Decades of experience with Japanese martial arts and training in mindfulness based stress reduction. He has written seven books on the social impact of computer technology, is a co founder of the Hack Your Mind program at MIT, and the host of the Technology for Mindfulness podcast. So I'd like to welcome Robert Plotkin. Robert, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, Skylar. I'm really excited to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on, excited to dive deep into what you're doing because it's definitely something that's needed. Do you mind just starting us off telling a little bit about yourself, you know, besides the bio, just kind of your story of how you got here and everything along those lines? Yeah, yeah. You know,
1: I have been using computers for about 40 years almost. I started long before the internet around 1980, you know, uh, and at that time, people may not even no, and those who were using computers at the time may not remember, that you could sit down at a computer and stay super focused at that time and not be interrupted or distracted by anything. There was no Facebook. There was not even multiple windows up on the screen at the same time. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, so I, I came to using technology From the perspective of using it as a focus enhancing tool, I would sit down and write software. I started programming as a kid, and I was always an avid writer as well. And I remember feeling like sitting at a computer was a great way to stay and enhance my focus. You know, I I know people may find that hard to relate to (laughs) now. (laughs) You know, and then I watched over the years and the decades as as that whittled away as, as technology changed the internet came along, multitasking on computers where you could have multiple apps running simultaneously in multiple windows. Then we got higher and higher speed internet access from nearly everywhere. Then we got mobile devices you know, that would fit in your pocket. All of this, I found, was getting me more and more distracted, made it harder for me to focus and do what I love doing, you know, writing, programming, being creative, and also from doing the work I needed to do. Um, By day, I am a patent lawyer, which means I get legal protection for inventions, which happen to usually be software themselves and, and microprocessors, computer technology. I have to be able to sit, use a computer, use technology, and be really focused for many hours at a time. And I found that all changing through the 90s and the 2000s and, and beyond. So that's part of my story. You know, and the other part is that I found, because of my long experience with martial arts training, that uh, you know, I had a couple of insights. One was that when I heard my phone beep at me because a text message came in, you know, physiologically, it felt a lot like when someone threw a punch at my face in a, in a karate class. Hmm. It, you know, feels like an attack in some way. And I And I realized, you know, if I'm having that physiological response, getting tensed up, or having my attention drawn to this this beep or notification, just like when a punch comes at your face, you know you can get a tunnel vision uh, focused just on that and everything disappears. I thought, you know, I've learned a lot of skills and techniques over the years for how to stay focused and grounded in the face of attacks coming at me through martial arts training. Maybe I can use those. Same skills with how I use my smartphone, and I started to develop techniques adapted from martial arts and from mindfulness meditation to my own smartphone use, and then then eventually to teach that to other people. That's what became the tap into mindfulness course that you mentioned. And you know, I I, I am a big believer in the fact that we both shouldn't have to give up on the use of technology, uh, and that we in fact can adapt our own habits to leverage technology to to return it to something that is serving our ends rather than us constantly feeling like we're just reacting
0: to it. Hmm. And that's a major major point because technology, you know, not only is it being demonized and it's said as something bad and I've definitely talked down upon it, but it is such a valuable tool. Like it is something that can improve our lives. So Do you kind of have any advice for finding that balance, like finding the healthy balance between using technology in a way that will improve your life and connect you with people around you, but not letting it, you know, kill your attention span, change your physiology and harm you in all these other ways?
1: Yeah, so there's a few different things that you can you can do. And I think it is all about balance, moderation, you might say managing how you use technology. It's certainly not all or nothing. I wouldn't recommend that we throw out the baby with the bathwater here. Uh there are a few things you can do. The the lowest hanging fruit, the, the very first thing I always advise people to do is to manage notifications. Those can, those, those can overwhelm us. You know, seeing something pop up on the screen or a sound come in when you get a text message, Facebook message, email, appointment coming up, you can very easily cut down on those radically. The fact is we don't need to be notified about 99% of the things that we're notified about. Uh, we, or we at least don't need to be notified about them immediately. And most of our devices and apps are set up by default to notify us about things immediately. Why? Because the device manufacturer or the app vendor wants us to get notified about things because they're uh, things that bring us in to use that app or device more and that generates more revenue. It might be an advertising message, but the fact that that's how things are set up by default, doesn't mean we have to accept them. And actually, I'll give the big tech companies some credit for in recent years, uh, putting in features that make it quite easy if you know where to look uh, to manage notifications. Uh, there, in Apple iOS, it's called Do Not Disturb. Uh, you can, right from the home screen, swipe up from the bottom of the screen, pulls up the control center, and then if you see that Crescent moon icon, you can just tap on it. Okay, this is the simplest, it's a bit of a blunt tool, but this is the simplest way to turn on Do Not Disturb. And what that will do is silence all of your notifications until you turn it back off. Mm. So if you're looking for the quickest thing that gives you the most bang for the buck, I would say start making liberal use of Do Not Disturb. I, in fact, often just keep it on all day uh, you know, which might seem like a bit extreme, but the reason is that it doesn't stop you from seeing notifications. It just stops them from popping up whenever they happen to come in. When you have do not disturb on, you can still go into your text messages at any time and see all of your new messages just like before. So, you know, if you turn on do not disturb all the time, it's actually not as radical as you might think, and particularly during work hours or something else. And I'll just say one more thing before before we, we move on, because I could say a lot about Do Not Disturb, is there are ways to set it up in more uh, nuanced ways so that you can tell it to let through messages from your spouse or your boss or other special people. You can set it to turn on and off on a schedule. I like it to turn on automatically like an hour before I go to bed. And, and turn back off an hour after I wake up. There's all kinds of ways in which you can automate it more to suit your own preferences. Uh, so I'd suggest that people check that out and, and play with it and experiment it and find what works best for them. But I think for me, it cut down really significantly on how stressed out and distracted I was being from my
0: phone. Mm, yeah, and that's something I implement too. And that has like a huge, huge effect on my ability to concentrate, definitely. So I I know because this is something that I kind of went through in the past and it was trying to bridge that gap as a millennial who, you know, I was a college kid and I was always in contact with all my friends. I always had all my notifications and then finding that healthy space where it felt okay to be away from my phone. Because I know so many people have like the, the FOMO, the fear of missing out, and this idea that if they don't get a text message right away, or if they don't respond right away, then they're either being a bad friend or they're going to miss something important. So do you have any tips for the mental side of things? Like, say someone, you know, they, they know their cell phone use is kind of unhealthy, they want to cut back, but it just feels stressful for them. Like, w- would you have anything that you would give them?
1: Yeah, two things. You know, one is something you can do individually and one is something you can do with your friends and, and community. Uh the first thing is that when you have a fear like that, the fear of missing out, I, I'm a big believer in uh addressing that fear rather than avoiding it, diving into it, you know, going back to martial arts training. You you train to handle that fear of getting attacked by practicing getting attacked mm-hmm. uh, you you, ex, you put yourself in a situation where you simulate getting attacked but in a way that's safe enough that the fear doesn't overwhelm you uh, and i think you can do something similar with the phone let's say you're afraid that if you you are away from the phone for a day you'll miss out on too much well try just a half an hour try being away from the phone for a half an hour and then pay attention to how it feels. This is where some mindfulness meditation or just simple mindfulness practice can can help. Pay attention to the fear. See what it feels like. If you've never done this before, uh, one way to do that is try to find where it's emerging in your body, like it might be tightness in your chest. Pay attention to it. And you might find that the more you just pay attention to what the fear actually is, you know, sometimes it can dissipate. Or you'll realize, all right, yeah, this is making my chest feel tight. But that doesn't mean the world is collapsing around me. It just means my chest feels a little bit tight. And that's uncomfortable. But by paying attention to what the feeling actually is, you can often recognize that what's actually happening is a bit uncomfortable, but it's not as horrible as the story your mind played out for you in advance. You know, you had this fear that something calamitous was gonna happen, and in fact, it, it didn't. And then you can stretch it out over longer and longer periods of time and see how it feels. So that's the individual thing. Confront the fear, pay attention to it, experiment with it, and see what, you know, how it actually happens. And I'll tell you, I find that when I'm away from the phone, for an hour or I don't check email for a couple of hours, very often, you know, nothing bad happens at all. (laughs) You know, the fear is often unfounded or exaggerated. But I said, you can also do things collectively. You know, I think there's, there's only so much we can do individually. I think, let's say it's that the FOMO you have is about your friends. You can try talking to your friends and say, hey, you know, I would love to be able to be away from the phone for a while. And talk to talk to each other. See what kind of arrangement you can have. Let people know that if you don't respond, it's not because you don't care about them. It's just because you're trying to take care of yourself. You know, uh, this is just a suggestion. You might do something totally different with your friends, but the point is you don't necessarily have to tackle this all on your own and you might find that by talking to your family friends co-workers whatever your situation happens to be that they're having some of the same feelings that they might not have wanted to to raise them and that by talking to each other you could Come up with some sort of shared understandings, ground rules about how you're going to communicate that would feel better to everybody. Let me just share quickly. There's a great book called Sleeping With Your Smartphone. It was written by a, a consultant who consults with really high-powered business consultants. People are working 80 to 100 hours a week, usually in small teams. And she found these people, you know, found, they felt like they could never get away from technology, because if they missed out on a message for an hour, they felt like they were letting their teammates down or they were going to get fired or or something. And she instituted a very simple policy, which was each person on this team would get a night where they wouldn't have to respond to messages. So wow. Joe would be Monday night, you know, Sally's Tuesday night. And it had a couple of effects. One it was that when Joe... During Monday night, Joe could rest assured that if he didn't check messages, he wouldn't be letting anyone else down. (laughs) They wouldn't be wondering where he was. And so he could feel comfortable and relaxed and not stressed out. And on the side of the other team members, they would know not to send messages to him or that if they put him on a group message and he didn't respond, they wouldn't think poorly of him because they'd understand that was his night off. And then it had a meta effect, was it just created a much closer bond and feeling of mutual support amongst all the team members? Like, hey, these people have my back. They want to support me in having a night that I can spend with my family and not feel like I have to keep checking. But it had a whole bunch of ripple effects. And that was just one evening a week per person. So I think, you know, there's lots of opportunities for people among friends, family, coworkers, others, other circles to come up with these group agreements where you're supporting each other and you don't just feel better individually, but you can end up feeling like you have a closer, more supportive bond as a group.
0: I like that a lot, a lot. I, I think that just having that accountability and even just the openness of letting people know that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be off my phone for a little bit. I'm not going to be there. Like that is definitely going to help in the long term. So that's awesome.
1: Yeah, and I think a lot of people, I experience this in the work that I do when I talk to people about it. I find, you know, I say I work on technology, distraction, stress, and people say, oh, you know, that's great. And they start whispering <laughs> and they make admissions to me about having fear, you know, of missing out or of not catch being able to catch up. And, all. you know, people have have this fear, they have the stress, they have the anxiety, but a lot of people don't want to admit it. You know, I think in our culture it may make you come across as weak, or you fear you'll be seen as weak, or or something else negative like that. But you know, when you, when I've often found that once you acknowledge it to people, you find pretty much everyone else is having the same experience <laughs> as you are. Yeah. It's another thing. Just like facing the fear, stating it out loud to people can help dissipate it, and you might find that you know you share a lot more in common with someone else than than you think, and that you're not alone.
0: Mm, That's awesome. So something that you do that I like is you mix technology and mindfulness. And I think that's so powerful. And you kind of touched on it, but I'd kind of like to talk about it a little more directly. So for the people listening, like, can you just speak a little bit about this mixture and finding this balance and how you use this mindfulness in these different situations?
1: Yeah, you know, mindfulness uh, is about paying attention to your own direct experience from moment to moment. Uh, and you can do that with technology. And it's one reason it's very helpful is that today's technology is designed to hook us in to then start engaging in auto, really automatic reactions uh you know you go onto youtube you watch a video maybe you start that process intentionally because it's something you want to do but then you know autoplay kicks into gear another video comes in and that pulls your brain and you find that you are go down a rabbit hole of watching video after video it stops being an intentional act that you engage in and something that your brain in collaboration with the technology is Influencing you to just keep doing over and over again automatically, you know, not mindfully, pretty mindlessly at that point. So, mindfulness meditation and mindfulness practice, in one sense, you can see as a way of practicing and building up the mental muscle of paying attention to what is happening for you in the moment. By doing that, I found it can help me basically snap out of that kind of loop more quickly than I would have, uh, if I weren't practicing mindfulness. So that's one benefit of it. Um, let me, let me give you a a really concrete example, uh, from the tap into mindfulness course here. Here's an example of an exercise we can do in in less than a minute together and, and people listening can join in with their phone and do it. Uh, And this draws on mindfulness meditation. It's inspired by martial arts practice as well. And all you need is your phone. So why don't you wake it up and find an app without tapping on it yet that very often really sucks you in, you know? Uh, I'll tell you, email, it's a big one for me. I'm looking at my email icon now. It has a badge that says 68 on it, (laughs) you know, when I see that. I feel drawn to tap on it, Skylar. I don't know if you if you want to admit to your listeners what what's your poison?
0: It's Instagram for sure. Instagram. Okay. Yeah. You know.
1: So even this first step is a kind of mindfulness exercise. It's paying attention to yourself and knowing yourself. Right. What are you feeling drawn to in the moment? That's a kind of mindfulness exercise compared to just waking up the phone and automatically tapping on Instagram without even being aware that you're feeling that urge to go to it. So the next step, so listen, I want people to listen carefully, which is take your finger and start moving it slowly towards that icon, Instagram, or, and stop right before you hit the screen. So your finger's hovering over the icon, but not, not touching So the exercise now is to pause and pay attention to what your experience is with your finger hovering over that very tempting icon. For example, what are you feeling in your body now? Uh, I can tell you my chest is tightening a little bit. Uh, Feeling a little tingling in my finger. You might, I don't know, you might feel some perspiration or... Uh, change in your breath, very common for people's breath to stop. But whatever it is, pay attention to it. I don't know, scholar, if you've noticed anything in your body you want to share.
0: Uh, so just thinking about it, because my phone's not right by me, but just thinking about it, I, I do feel like the tightness in my chest.
1: Yeah. Very common. You know, so this is a kind of mindfulness practice to pay attention to what you're feeling now, pay attention to your thoughts. You know, are you thinking about the app? Are you thinking about what you might see if you tap on the icon and you can pay attention to your feelings? Like it's helpful sometimes to name them. Like it might be excitement or irritability or fear you know, whatever it happens to be. Now, I'm somewhat racing through these instructions. In the course, we spend about 10 minutes going much more slowly through trying to notice your experience, mind, body, feelings, while you're paused. It's to in part to help learn about yourself and pay attention to what you're really feeling because we so often don't do that. We also often just race into action. So it's a way of practicing paying attention to what we're feeling. And then when you're done, you pull your finger away, put the phone asleep. So I said part of this is is intended to help you learn about what you're feeling. You might as after you practice this for a while, learn that you are often going to Instagram out of boredom. You know, that would be an interesting thing to, to learn about yourself if that were true because then you might start to think, hmm, you know, maybe I can do something else when I'm bored. I, or I thought I was going to Instagram in order to see something uh, interesting, but it was really just boredom and a way to find something to kick the boredom. You might learn something new about yourself and then be able to start thinking about how to change your behavior. The other very important thing about this exercise, and this is this is very directly, come, was motivated by my by, by martial arts experience, is that you're practicing pausing. I like to actually practice this in two different ways. One is to stop for a long period like we just did. The other, I call rep training. It's just like in the gym, you do 50 reps or 20 reps, of something, you can wake up your phone, move your finger towards the icon, pause, pull it away. Move your finger towards the icon, pause, pull it away. Quickly, 10, 20 times in a row. What is that doing? You're actually training, drilling your body into the habit of pausing physically before you tap so that You know, a few hours from now, when you're not thinking about this exercise and you're just wrapped up in your life and you feel that urge to go onto Instagram and you move your finger towards it, it'll be more likely that that habit of pausing will kick into gear for you automatically because you've trained it so many times uh, that you'll then get an opportunity to think twice before tapping.
0: Mm. So it's, a,
1: it's, it's physical training as well as mental training uh and, and this is this is an example of one of, of the many exercises in the course but it, you know when you asked how does mindfulness come into play in in how we can rewire ourselves to interact with technology differently that exercise is a good example
0: yeah that's an awesome example is there a biggest problem that you see around, it's like a, a biggest issue when it comes to technology? Is it just like the overall addiction, or is there something specific that comes to mind?
1: Well, you know, there's a lot of different consequences of, of the addiction. And I think there certainly are situations in which it would be accurate to call it addictive. Um, you know, on, on maybe a lower, lower level, it's just that people are spending a lot of their time doing things that are not what they intend to do you know Hmm. Uh, so there's just a lot of wasted time a lot of wasted productivity uh, a lot of time not doing other things that you would have preferred to do Uh, but you know a little bit more more deeply and seriously that that feeling if you repeatedly have the feeling that you're using the phone in ways that you don't want to People I know often then feel regret afterwards and can then feel guilt and shame about it. Uh, I just spent, you know, three hours on Netflix. I tended to sit down and watch one episode for 20 minutes and then people start having self-judging thoughts, how I'm a horrible person. Look how I just wasted my time. You know, that can all start spiraling into, you know, long-term effects of stress and anxiety even depression or other you know more serious serious issues it can also just mean that that people then aren't spending as much time face to face with friends or family and have all of the negative consequences of that so you know th- there's a wide variety of of problems You know, one that I don't, uh, through technology for mindfulness, deal with as much directly, uh, but is a very, very serious one, is that of the ways in which, particularly social media, encourage people to seek out and rely on approval Mm -hmm. of other people. And then uh, the flip side of it is to be really hurt and, and devastated by disapproval or criticism. And you know, we all know that the internet is full of it. <laughs> mm. uh, just just full of it. So, you know, that can have really, really harmful consequences for people when they are become dependent on approval from other people online. Even if they're getting the approval, you know?
0: Mm.
1: That 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 being in a in a state where you need it can result in a kind of addictive uh, set of patterns where people are just going online, posting, you know, posting photos, posting videos, not in just a healthy way, but in order to get that hit of approval back and doing it over and over and over again. And, you know, then needing higher and higher levels of approval in order to, Feel good about themselves and we know that in general, you know, it's it's not healthy to have your own self image be so dependent on whether you're getting approval from others and social media is really designed to encourage that that way of being. So I think that's a whole other set of issues, you know, which related to, to bullying, it can come in in that context and how pervasive that can be and how people, because uh, access to the internet and social media is so pervasive and constant, it can be hard for people to escape from that at any time or in any place.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. And that actually brought a study to mind that I read a while back and it said that Facebook can actually change people's moods based on their algorithm. Like if someone posts a status and Facebook changes the algorithm so it doesn't get shown to as many people and that status gets a less number of likes, that person can, like their mood can actually drop, which is kind of a scary thought that we are allowing our mood to be based off of a computer algorithm sometimes. Like, and we just take it as a a hit to our self-confidence. Like people don't like what I'm posting. People don't approve of this picture or status or something like that. And it is kind of scary. Yeah, it's scary,
1: and it's another way in which people individually and together and in families, you know, need to 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 uh, try to work on being supportive of each other and work on on this balance. You know, I'm not saying give up on social media entirely. I think that the idea of social media is a great one. We all we're social beings. You know, that's a fact. We want to connect with our friends, and 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 and. And even people who aren't aren't our friends, you know, if we're creative and we write or we create music or videos, we want to share that with people and bring them joy or, or help teach them things. You know, social media can do all of that. It comes from a very positive place, which is that we all desire to connect with each other. Uh, it's some of the ways in which social media is designed to, to yeah, as you said, influence our mood and encourage us to be seeking out approval also we know it's been well documented that uh, people tend to be harsher in how they criticize people online than they would be face to face you know when someone's standing opposite you you're less likely to hurl a really vicious insult at them than when you're at your keyboard and you don't know who the other person is and you don't see them but when you're on the receiving end of that kind of criticism or insult, it can be really painful. So uh, I think everyone who's on social media needs to take some steps to be protective of themselves and working on ways to moderate the amount of time you spend on it, focusing on your direct personal relationships with the people around you. And, you know, mindfulness can be one of many ways in which you can work on uh, gaining some distance from what you see online or hear about yourself online. Being able to step, take a step back from it, whether it's positive or negative, and not absorb it directly as the truth or as something that will have an impact on your, your core being uh you know part of mindfulness practice involves stepping back from your own thoughts and feelings seeing them very clearly but not overly identifying with them and i found certainly it can be something that is helpful for me in not absorbing criticism in uh, in a way that directly influences how i feel about myself as a person
0: mm, definitely and that's got to be healthy Uh, So we covered a lot today and I think there's so many useful tips in there that listeners can pick up on and can make changes to. But I'm always a big fan of giving like one actionable step so there's no overwhelm involved. So Mm -hmm. do you have like one thing? So uh, say a listener out there is they're listening, they're loving it, and they think that they're ready to take back control of their relationship with technology. Is there one step that you'd recommend they take first?
1: Yeah, uh, beyond the... Controlling notifications, you know, with do not disturb and so forth. Then the next big thing I would say, and I know it's very hard to implement, so please be easy on yourself if you try this, which is to start setting up some some basically rules or habits or routines about time and place where you will use technology. Very simple, easy one. Uh, easy one to understand not necessarily to do is not to have your phone in your bedroom at night. Mm -hmm. You know, that's an example of a time and place restriction or habit common. Another one would be none at the dinner table with family or friends or at meals, but think about for yourself, what are some times and places in which you do want it, to be open to using technology in certain ways and times and places in which you don't. And I know it's hard to implement. We can fall back into bad habits. If you do it with other people, like with your family, you have an agreement. I find it could be much easier to carry out because you're all supporting each other in it. Another thing you can do uh, if you're doing it on your own is have a a certain place you put your phone. I mean, uh, I've spoken to people say, and the family have a basket. You know, in a certain room, that's the phone basket. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, and before a meal, everyone knows you put your phone in that basket. It sounds almost silly. It's so simple, but I think having something physical like that as a reminder in a certain place in the same place all the time uh, can be really helpful in, in in changing a habit like that. Uh, so time and place and start out very, very simple and small with whatever change you happen to make so that you're more likely to follow through and have some positive experience with it.
0: Awesome. And then there's also a segment on the show called My Current Obsession. And I'm curious, is there something in your life that you are currently obsessed with? It could be a person, place, song, color. It could be really anything, but something that you are just strangely obsessed with at this moment.
1: Yeah. I mean, I... I, uh... I told you I'm, I'm a martial artist. I found a new uh, teacher, martial artist, who I've never seen before. His name's Rick Hotton. Um I've been watching videos of him on YouTube. He's a guy in Florida. I'm always amazed when I find someone who is um, not famous, but clearly amazing at what they do. This guy seems to be at a small school in Florida, and yet he is world class. And I guess his students have been making videos of him. And I really admire what he's doing. You know, one thing I'll tell you that I try to do in terms of my own balance is if I feel the need to, you know, veg out on videos. I, the deal I make with myself sometimes is try to make it be on something relatively healthy. <laughs> you <know>? That's fair. <laughs>
0: it's
1: like, okay, I'll get my fix of sitting down and watching something for 40 minutes or whatever, but let me try to make it something healthy that's going to feed me, uh, intellectually or spiritually or something else rather than something that's going to be either totally, totally mindless or certainly, you know, negative uh, or
0: harmful to me. So, uh, yeah, thank you, Rick Hotton. <laughs> I've been learning a lot, a lot from you. Awesome. And then for the people who are interested in connecting with you, where can they do so?
1: Yeah, technologyformindfulness.com is the hub. You can always go there. There's the blog. There's the podcast. You can find the course. And, you know, uh, we're, of course, on, we are on Facebook and, and Twitter. Uh, but you can always find the latest and get in touch with me through technologyformindfulness.com.
0: Perfect. And I'll throw that in the show notes, too. So for anyone listening, you can find that there. And then before we go, do you have a final message for the listeners? The main message I have for people is that
1: It is possible to change how you use technology. All of the specific tips and strategies and exercises and apps aside, the the biggest thing that I think is helpful to all of us in changing is just to believe that it's possible. Uh, The culture is such that uh, it promotes the idea that we are just we have no choice but to be passive consumers of whatever technology is developed and sold to us and that we have no option uh, but to just use it in the way it's promoted and I think I really like to impress upon people that if they can uh, believe change that belief and instead recognize that they have the power to change then almost all the rest of the details will follow and, 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 and aren't as important as just somehow working on developing within yourself that belief that you have the power to change.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much, Robert. This has been great.
1: Thanks, Scott. I really enjoyed being here.